0: Consistent. For a meaningful and practical and strong prayer life, absolutely it must be consistent. And here's the must I must pray with a steadfast regularity. Now, if someone's listening to this cassette, uh, and obviously, if you're hearing this now, you are listening to this cassette and you do not have one of these diagram pages that we're uh, sharing. Uh, you can just call our office in Colorado Springs and ask if they would send you the Leaders Prayer Training Institute diagram pages. Tell them you got these tapes that I shared at uh, the Navigators at Glenary, but you didn't get one of these tra- these pages. There's, uh, one, there's six pages here of uh, syllabus and... Uh, uh, our, ho- our phone number is area code 719-260-8888 in Colorado Springs. The reason I say that is sometimes these tapes wander to different places and, uh, uh, people, you know, would like to have copies of that. For those of you that are in this room, if you want a copy of these pages, blank, I mean, without anything written in them, to duplicate, you can take that. And that, that way, you know, you, you could share it and, f- And transfer any of this with your own illustrations, your own thoughts. And uh, I certainly give you permission to do that. Now, consistent. I must pray with a steadfast regularity. Romans 12.12. Here's some scripture. Romans 12.12. Be faithful in prayer. It says in the NIV, the old King James Version says, "...be instant in prayer." Really, that's talking about a faithfulness. Be faithful. Psalm 27, 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible, and certainly one of my favorites from the Psalms, another one that I memorized years ago. And one thing, incidentally, I should tell you this, memorize scripture while you're young, because I, I know I'm not that old, but... A few years back, I tried to memorize a whole bunch of new scriptures on praise so I could fill my prayers with praise. And I I found, I can't remember. I can remember scriptures I learned 20 years ago and 30 years ago, but ones I memorized last week, I I can't remember. But uh, let's see, now what was I saying? Okay, (laughs) Psalm 27.4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Notice that. All the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. That's His presence. To be consumed by His presence and to inquire in His temple. That means to learn from Him. So you have both the the seeking after God just to be with Him, His presence, and then the learning from Him, the receiving from Him. A steadfast regularity. But the thing that I want to emphasize here is All the days of my life. Be faithful in prayer. Oh, if there's the greatest thing that could happen out of our time together is that you would make a decision of your will in your heart that you will not permit a day to go by for the rest of your life without an intimate encounter with God. I don't care whether it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes. I challenge people and have for now over 15 years to say yes to what Jesus said to Peter. Could you not watch with me? And his disciples, could you not watch with me one hour? There's something about setting aside a block of time every day, laying aside everything just to be with him. And I can tell you from experience that God has helped me to be able to do this for more than 15 years. And personally... I can share with you that once you determine to do it and you make it a steadfast determination, God will help you to keep that commitment. I mean, on any given day now, if that hasn't happened, I start to get nervous. And I mean, I really do. Some people say, oh, that, that, you put yourself under guilt. No, I have a conviction that this is important. And so develop a consistent day-by-day prayer habit. The second key word is systematic. Now, I have a reason for this. Some people don't think the word systematic is a very spiritual-sounding word. But let me explain it with imperative number two. I must pray with a scriptural scriptural, or biblical completeness. Completeness. A scriptural completeness. You you see... Many of us do not develop in all the areas God wants us to. It's like we just don't finish what He calls us to do. And the word systematic means you've got a plan. Uh, incidentally, systematic means methodical, it means efficient. There's nothing wrong with an efficient prayer time. The word systematic means complete. That's why I say I must pray with a scriptural completeness. Psalm 5.3 is a very interesting psalm or verse. Because in it there's a a unique word. It says, In the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto Thee. The word direct, by the way, that's from the New King James Version or the Old King James Version too. New King James Version is a newer translation of that original. Uh, The NIV, the NASB, To me, and I'm no scholar in the Hebrew language, but I tell you, every time I read those the translations, all of them that I've read, they are terribly weak for the Hebrew word that's used. I can understand why they translate it the way they do. Some of the newer translations would be something like, I will bring my prayer before you. Incidentally, the beginning of that verse in most newer translations, morning by morning, something like that, morning after morning or morning by morning, that is accurate. The... When the psalmist said, In the morning, O Lord, in the morning. He repeated the phrase in the Hebrew. In the morning, O Lord, in the morning. Is the Hebrew way of saying morning by morning. In other words, day after day. So there you see the consistency again. Day after day. But then I don't know what your other translations say, but if it says something like, I will bring before you, or I will lay before you, or I will bring my prayers to you, that is terribly weak for the Hebrew word, from which those expressions are translated. The Hebrew word is Arak. A-R-A-K. A-R-A-K. That word to me is so important in what it really means that I have a whole chapter in my book, Love on Its Knees, called Ordered Warfare Developing Prayer Strategies, Personal Prayer Strategies. Ordered Warfare, and it's based on this Hebrew word, Iraq. You see, when the word Iraq is used, it's, that's the same word that's used most of all in the Old Testament for describing, set, listen carefully now, setting something in its proper order before the Lord. I'll give you an example. Exodus chapter 40, verse 4. Exodus 40, verse 4. It describes the priests bringing a sacrifice, and they were told, listen carefully, they were told exactly how they were to do it. They were said, this goes first, this goes second, this goes third. You put it this way. So whenever you see the expression, which you'd never think of probably reading through your Bible has any spiritual significance, it just says, and the priests set in order the sacrifice. Now you'd be reading through that and you wouldn't think much of it, but that expression, set in order, is the word Iraq. Now further, where it takes real significance is when you start looking at passages like Judges 20 verse 20 Judges 20 verse 20 says and, and let me let me ask you to tell me what word you think is translated Iraq in this I won't re, I don't even know the whole passage from memory but it's Israel going out to battle against uh, against the tribe the the uh, rebellious tribe of Benjamin and it says and Israel Set the battle in array against Benjamin. Obviously, what word would come from Iraq? Set the combination of set in array. Array, Iraq. As a matter of fact, the word Iraq is the word from which we get our word arrange. And so the best definition of that word there is arrange. Arrange. In the morning, O Lord, I will arrange my prayer before you. Now look at Judges 20, verse 20 again. I will set the battle in array. What does that mean to set something in array? I'll tell you what it means. It means to have an ordered strategy or a plan of attack. So I can conclude from this verse that the psalmist is saying I have a plan. When I come before you, I come ready. I come with... A, with, a, with I, you, know, I, you know, I was trying to think of the expression to use... In fact, I have an example. I come with a plan. One example is right here in every Home for Christ world prayer map. You open up this world prayer map and here's a seven... And if you didn't get this, I'll give one to every one of you. Here's a seven-day world Christian prayer strategy. And uh, seven different major focuses, all Scripture. You open it up. Now, there's something more personal to our ministry. Some, you know, a whole bunch of really good-looking people except one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm there too. But there's a... Seven days worth of leaders from about forty different denominations involved in the harvest, Uh, and that's more personally related to our ministry. But when you open it up here, then here's here's to set the battle in array. Here's a plan, and what is it? Thirty-one entries, thirty-one different um, a calendar for every month of of seven countries a day. Their populations, their heads of state. Every year we reprint this at least once or twice. And seven different, uh, seven or eight different cutting edge evangelism ministries for every day. You pray, if you pray for these every day, and hundreds of thousands have received this map now, and you begin to pray for the nations there, little wonder the nations are changing. Little wonder the walls are falling. I mean, some parts, uh, this, this whole part here of the map that's all yellow, which is a limited access, now becomes green. In the next printing, two printings ago it was red because it was communist Soviet Union. Then the doors began to open to where there's access now, and we would probably change that color to green. And China right down here is still obviously red because it's very communistic, but we're starting this summer in 30 days to 45 days our first Every Home Crusades in communist mainland China, in two major cities in the southern part, that will be our first opportunity to go to every home... We're able to do this in ways that I can't fully describe, but fully receiving decision cards and processing them. So God is opening up a lot of doors. Uh, there's a color code, obviously, to all of these that explain. The orange ones are all the Muslim countries, the strictly rigidly Muslim countries. So here's a here's a battle plan. Plan. And so when we say have a systematic plan uh, to to set in array, it means to uh, have a have a plan. And so that's why I say, if you want to have a meaningful prayer life, now I don't say you have to, I'm not saying you must use this world prayer map to have a healthy prayer life. But I'll tell you one thing, it will make it healthy. It will contribute to it. No doubt in the world. Why? I could ask you right now, are you praying for the nation? Are you praying for every nation on earth by name every month? Are you going to the nations? Do you think God desires to do something in those nations? Would you invest five minutes a day in your devotional habit to just lift those seven countries on day number one when it's the first of the month, day number two? Some people say, well, that's too mechanical or something like that. It's not if you believe God answers prayer. Not at all. And so I'm excited. I have prayed, my friends. Sixteen years ago, I began to pray for Albania along with the other countries, but Albania is one of them. I made a commitment to pray for the countries every day. And up till last night, God has given me strength to do that. And now our little prayer chapel is underneath our staircase going down into our basement. Sixteen years every day that I know of lifting Albania. Often, although I pray for all the countries because I learned them years ago, often I've stopped on Albania and I thought, God, that's the most rigid, closed country on earth. Two years ago, missiologists said, Albania... Of all the countries on earth, through a set of criterion that missiologists use to determine what is the level of access to countries, Albania was the most closed country on earth. Albania was number one. I think Saudi Arabia and Iran were number two and three. Albania was number one. Of all countries, we start our every home crusade in July in Tirana, the capital city of Albania, fully, freely, with Youth with a Mission, OM, Operation Mobilization, another group of people that are sending teams in to the small handful of believers. By the end of this summer, at the latest, in September, those believers will have gone to every single home telling every single person about Jesus Christ and leaving with them a clearly printed message in the Albanian language to let them come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. If, as the plan now is, that by the end of one year, the following July, next summer, all of Albania will have been reached with the gospel, every single identifiable village, every one, and two, three years ago, it was the most restricted country on earth. Do you think God answers prayer? Do you think it makes any difference that people pray over countries systematically? I'll tell you, I believe it with all my heart. And I get kind of dogmatic on it, but that's because I've read this book, this book, God's Word, over and over and over and over, and the more you read it, the more you're convinced God indeed does answer prayer. So there. (laughs) Now, key word, systematic. Third, oh, I didn't give you Ephesians 6.18 here. This is the verse under number 2. Ephesians 6.18 is the verse upon which the hour that changes the world book was developed. After you put on the armor of God, Paul said, pray always with all prayer. All prayer. And so I began to think, what is all prayer? Well, I looked at one translation uh, says, uh, the Amplified uh, Version says, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. With all that prayer is. And that's why you see in the book the hour that changes the world Uh, 12 different biblical steps for prayer. Actually 11, because two of them are repeated in that prayer circle. Because I encourage people to start their prayers always by exalting God, and that's praise, and then by ending them by thanking Him and praising Him again. The key word for number three is balanced. And balanced, incidentally, these are all related, because if you develop a spiritual, scriptural completeness, there will be balance in that but i must pray number 3 with a sensitive balance sensitive balance one beautiful example of balance is the lord's prayer matthew 6 9 through 13 matthew 6 9 through 13 that's the lord's prayer and let me mention something to you about this map of the world. And again, those that might listen by tape, you could call the same number and ask for a copy. And we'll usually send one gift copy uh, of the world prayer map if you ask for it. Uh, but when you open it up, it looks very busy because we try, I tried to put at within hands grasp of an intercessor a variety of things they can pray for in the context of their daily time with the Lord. Off to the right, as you open the map, you'll notice the little circular illustration here. That is the 12 steps that's in the hour that changes the world. So it will always be before the person. But over here to the right, further, is called the Kingdom Prayer for World Christians. That Kingdom Prayer for World Christians is good for either personal prayer or, especially, for corporate prayer in prayer meetings by going down these steps. And they're based on the Lord's Prayer, a focus on worship, Our Father, which art in heaven. A focus on authority. Hallowed be thy name, because his name is authority. And you begin to... In a prayer meeting, I would have different people just declare praises of different names of Jesus, for example, of his nature and character. And that saturates your prayer with authority. A focus on awakening. Thy kingdom come. You see, the kingdom of God is his plan, his his rulership, his dominion. Kingdom comes from the two words, dominion and king. The dominion of the king. So you're saying, God, may your presence come. Well, that spiritual awakening of anything is. A focus on evangelism. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If I were leading a prayer meeting and using these steps, I would say, well, now the next thing we're going to pray for is a focus on evangelism. Our Lord said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not willing that any should perish. Let's take a few minutes now and different ones of us pray for different nations as God puts them on our heart and pray for souls to come to him. A focus on provision. Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, you could apply that in a thousand and one directions. For your own needs, but the needs of the suffering all over the world. A focus on forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Oh, God, forgive us. And you could even, if I were leading a prayer meeting, I'd say, let's be open and bold now and let's ask God to forgive us of things. Let's ask Him to reveal to us things that have happened in the last few days where we might not have had a forgiving spirit. You'd be surprised what may come. A focus on guidance. Hey, if you're leading a prayer meeting and you say, well, the next thing the Lord said, lead us not into temptation, a suggestion is here, Lord, don't let us be led in the wrong direction, which means, Lord, lead us in the right direction. And now if anybody wants to pray for direction in your own life, let's just take a few minutes in our little prayer group and different ones, ask God for direction in specific areas. Lord, lead me here. You'd be surprised that go on. You have a nice prayer meeting using the Lord's prayer. And the beautiful thing is it can be used over and over because it's so, it's so appropriate for any situation. A focus on warfare. Deliver us from the evil one. That's when you could start praying against strongholds in your community, in the nation, in the nations. And then a focus on rejoicing. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You could spend some time just rejoicing in your further words of praise. That's an example of balance. You know, you might not think of this, but when the Lord gave that prayer to His disciples... He suggested such a beautiful variety of things, not saying just repeat these words over and over and over, but recognize the heart of what I'm saying. These are themes. These are prayer focuses. So that helps us develop with balance. Now, keyword number four is intense. And you're holding up so far, okay. Uh, intense intensity means exceptionally strong concentration there sometimes our prayer needs to move into a higher level of fervency in fact i must pray with a spiritual or let me put it let me say let me say a different word supernatural supernatural fervency now what i mean by that fervency is A prayer that's energized by the working of the Holy Spirit within me. A key verse here would be James 5.16. Many of us learned it years ago in the old authorized version called the King James Version. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It really is suggesting that prayer energized by the Holy Spirit... Brings results. Now let me read you the amplified version. The earnest, heartfelt, continual prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available and is dynamic in its workings. That's a mouthful, isn't it? The dynamic in its workings. Dynamic. Luke 22.44 shows our Lord in the garden. What does it say of his prayer? In being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. Look at Jesus the way he prayed. One man overseas at a large prayer congress when brokenness settled and people began to weep, in fact, by the thousands. And the, the reason I, I know this man was somewhat troubled was he had a, a barrier of some kind regarding tears. And I had said to the people in leading this, a prayer time in this great conference, I, I said, I believe the Lord is calling us to weep before him. He came up to me afterwards, even though the brokenness was beautiful, there was a depth there. He came up to me afterwards and, and said that was just nothing but emotionalism. And he began to, to really, oh, he was really un, almost unkind. And he, made, and, he, and he is the one that caused me to go back and research out the many passages on brokenness and tears. And I, I, I didn't even think to tell Him in that moment that there, there are injunctions where God says to leadership, like in the book of Joel to leaders, He commands them to weep between the porch and the altar. And, you know, some people say, you can't just go weep. But what you can do is go humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, give me your view. Lord, give me your view of south central Los Angeles, and Lord, give me your view of Ethiopia and all the people starving and and also going without the gospel of jesus christ and and the upheaval in these parts of the world. We need a supernatural fervency, and Jesus is a beautiful example. it says of Jesus in hebrews in fact hebrews five seven is describing Hebrews 5.7 is describing the encounter of Jesus in the garden. It says, During the days of Jesus, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. The King James Version says, Strong crying and tears. Finally, last of all, The key word is Compassionate. I must pray with a servant mentality. A true intercessor is a servant. You know, only once in all of the scriptures do we see God sending an angel to thank someone personally for his or her faithfulness. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you even know the passage I'm talking about. Only once did God ever send an angel to carry a spoken thank you note. Only once. And it happens to be in Acts chapter 10 and happens to be in the life experience of Cornelius... It's a marvelous study. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Although it's worth reading the entire, book, the entire chapter. It says in the first four verses that the angel came to Cornelius. The angel said, because of what you've done, you will forever be a memorial to God. You're a memorial to Him. And I've come to tell you that. And here's what it says he's done and he did and it's in four words. And as the NIV conveys it it says he gave here are the four he gave generously and prayed faithfully. He gave generously and he prayed faithfully. Four words. He combined his giving and his praying. And oh how important that is. To be a praying giver. I know the Lord has often said this to me, I know to my wife, prayer is not enough if you're not willing to be a part of the answer to your own prayer. You can't just pray and not give. And I know one thing, when I meet intercessors that are true intercessors, they're the most, most giving people on earth because it's a lifestyle. Intercession, I said in love on its knees, intercession is far more a way of life than it is a type of prayer. It's far more a way of life than it is a type of prayer. It just manifests itself when the person who's an intercessor is praying. When they're praying, they'll be praying for others because that's that's a part of their lifestyle. Jesus was an intercessor. He is an intercessor. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And all that God would help us to give ourselves faithfully to that. Now, there they are. If you want to develop a meaningful prayer life with power, strength, Needs to be consistent with a steadfast regularity. Needs to be systematic. And that doesn't, I'm not trying to say we shouldn't be led of the Holy Spirit in our prayers. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit will also lead us to have meaningful prayer. It means having a plan, accomplishing something through our prayer, a scriptural completeness. It needs to be balanced. Some people get off balance in, in areas, they only do one thing. And God wants us to have a sensitive balance. We need it to be intense or at least to be available. It doesn't mean you're weeping and crying out to God every time you have a prayer time, but you make yourself available to say, Holy Spirit, move through me in prayer. A fervency. And then compassion, it means to... You know what I started with this morning talking about God, give us a big heart. Enlarge our heart. Make it bigger. This is where that comes in. Lord, fill my heart with compassion. Well, we have another hour to go, but we're going to pause here. In fact, I'm going to ask you to take maybe just about five minutes to stretch and don't run away from here too far. Um, Let's try and discipline ourselves. What's that game they're playing out there? Not to get into a a match in our five-minute break, but if you want to get something to drink, get it quickly or use the restroom, uh, do it quickly. And then we'll be able to finish, I hope, at 3 o'clock. Well, you look all like you've had a good break. You you all look broke. Uh, especially if you bought some of those books, yeah. Uh, those listening by cassette, we have a... I didn't bring them today, but we have a little... Uh, um, it's not a catalog as much as a brochure called Tools for Growth. And if you'd like to... Uh, uh, Request from us uh, some of the listing of our tools. And those of you who are here also, we have two 13-week training courses on uh, prayer that are very substantive, complete with transparencies, far more than I have here. Uh, So you're welcome to request information on that. One is is called the Journey of Power, the other is called the Practical Prayer Life. Now, we're going to go to the last point which has to do with communicating these principles to teach, to teach what I have learned, what I have applied. The scripture here, the primary scripture is 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me tell you in the presence of many witnesses, trust or transfer to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. It's called the the transferring principle of sharing with others. Now, some of this might seem to apply more to... to people in pastoral leadership or ministry leadership, but I want you to receive it as if this may be the very direction God leads you. Uh, you may at some point be, be directly involved in, in uh, a leadership role or you can transfer these things. Obviously, you can be a part of these things in, in, uh, in any kind of a ministry setting. But the first thing I would say, and I have four things I want to talk about, One, letter A there, is develop an actual local church prayer ministry. Now, the reason I say, in fact, I circle the word here for you, actual, because a lot of people think, leaders think they have a a church prayer ministry, but they don't. Um, One of our students here goes to Woodman Valley, right? I was so impressed at Woodman Valley Chapel of the unusual commitment to prayer in in a prayer ministry of I think even a 24 hour prayer chain I know and signing people up getting them involved in different levels of prayer I remember the Sunday I was there I mean they had a little form right on their bulletin where you signed up for a variety of things you could do in prayer I was at uh, my wife and I attended First Nazarene Church just uh, last Sunday and uh, uh, or the Sunday before last and the Prior to America's National Day of Prayer, they were signing people up in a 24-hour prayer chain for that whole day and they were having a phenomenal response. And what thrills me are churches that go beyond just saying, well, we believe prayer is important. Uh, uh, Shirley Dobson was telling me, Jim and Shirley had attended Village 7 Presbyterian church and my wife and I had been we found out they were visiting different churches too just to see this spiritual climate we'd been doing the same thing in fact ran into them a couple times I think and and, uh, in churches and uh, how the pastor there had said in one service if can you imagine this the pastor there said now right now as we begin this service there's another room in the church where 50 intercessors are praying for this whole service and right now, if you have any need, they will be praying for you. And I don't know, don't know if he asked them then to write it down or something, to take it to them. But while he was having this service, in another room, 50 people were praying for all the people. And that's something of what I'm going to talk about in these next few minutes, of of the actual local church prayer ministry doing something more than just talking about it. Uh, Paul Bilheimer that I quoted earlier made the statement, and I quote, the average local church provides an intelligent educational program through the Sunday school and such auxiliaries as the Vacation Bible School. It may provide well-directed youth programs, including social activities and recreational Bible camps. It may sponsor teacher training and personal evangelism classes. Many churches launch great evangelistic campaigns featuring big-name evangelistic parties with a high potential of religious entertainment. Many have an efficient, well-structured, and highly successful stewardship or fundraising and financial program. All of these may be working smoothly and may be in high gear. This is not to discount any of these programs per se. They may be good, but if they are substitutes for an effective prayer program, they may be useless so far as damaging Satan's kingdom is concerned. They may be useless. We need to develop an actual local church prayer program, prayer ministry. If you look at the bottom of your page, I think it's the bottom of the page you have. Yeah, number one down there. Uh, jump down to that. This, this technically comes under letter A. Letter A is the local church prayer ministry. So I'm going to jump down there and share with you four very simple suggestions that some of you may be able to apply very quickly in church settings. Others, it may be as God prepares you, you will keep this material. Later, you'll refer back to it. The Holy Spirit will illuminate in your heart uh, some of the points that we made here. The first thing I would suggest is to develop a prayer strategy. Just as I would suggest it for your own personal prayer life, now a strategy for transferring what you have. Job 13:18 talks about Job going before God, and he says, "I have prepared my case. I have prepared my case." Comes from the word "arach." Does that sound familiar? It's that strategy word again. I will develop a plan. <clears throat> And so when we, we begin to move into developing a prayer program, we need to ask God to show us what to do. And again, I, I, I lack the time right now to get into in depth into all the things that you could do. But the Holy Spirit can show you how to develop a plan. I, <clears throat> I will be touching on some aspects of plans even in the next few points. For example, number two is develop a prayer concert. Perhaps better, it could be better be said, get involved in a prayer concert. Find out what's happening in prayer movements in your city. Ask pastors, do you know of a prayer movement? And I, I'm, I'm constantly encouraging people to move just beyond their local church. This fall, here in the Colorado Springs, October 23rd and 24th, David Bryant is coming here, and he'll be in four different churches, culminating with a great concert of prayer on Saturday night, the 24th. And he's going to be, this is four different major churches hosting it. Woodman Valley Chapel, hosting all the pastors in preparation for it that morning. That night, at Chapel Hills Baptist Church, I'm going to be working with David Bryant uh, regarding our Jericho chapters. And in other words, prayer leaders, Saturday morning at Pulpit Rock Church, there's going to be a major gathering. Maybe as many as a thousand prayer leaders will gather. And then that night at New Life Church, which has the largest sanctuary, so that's where they're having that, is the concert of prayer where we could have several thousand people gathering together, praying in concert. Get involved in these things. They'll come, hopefully, from 150 different churches. That God honors that. Matthew 18, 19, I've quoted already but it fits very appropriately here again i say to you that if two of you agree agree on earth is touching anything you ask it shall be done the word the greek word for agree you might want to write this down as symphoneo symphoneo well obviously what word in our english language comes from symphoneo symphony it's a direct translation transliteration Symphonero, or symphoneo, meaning harmony. It means a harmonious sound. Joel two fifteen to 18 says, Sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. some cases, these concerts of prayer are becoming like solemn assemblies of people gathering together. A prayer concert is simply people getting together from different backgrounds and praying together. Now, in our own settings, develop a prayer fellowship. A prayer fellowship. You know, the early church began in small cluster groups, in houses of people primarily praying. And, of course, studying the apostles' doctrine. But it it spoke of praying from house to house. Acts 2.41 42 and then <clears throat> the the fourth thing is develop i i call, in, in my own home i call it a prayer gap develop a prayer gap it's a place of prayer ezekiel 2230 a place to pray i sought for man among them who would make up the hedge And stand in the gap before me for the land. And in our prayer center, remember this morning I talked about that 24-hour prayer center where young people prayed day and night. The place they prayed was a room of less than half the size with globes and maps and all kinds of other prayer focuses they could pray over. We called it the gap because that's where they made up the hedge. That's where they stood in the gap before the Lord for the land. The gap means the place of battle. The battlefield. And by the way, that term is derived from the Old Testament where ancient cities were surrounded by high walls and when the enemy would break a breach or an opening to try and flood through the opening, people within the, the city would say, Hey, we're being attacked. We've got to get our troops in the gap. And that's what, they, that's what that meant. In the opening, the breach, really meant the place where the battle was strongest. And the reason it says build up the hedge, make up the hedge, it means to build back up that opening. It's to plug up the opening. And so, if you were at our home, you came to our house and you said, you know, I, uh, I have come spend some time talking with Brother Dick or something, you know. Uh, if you did that, and my wife said, and she does say things like this, oh, he's in the gap. A person, huh, because when we found our house, which is way north of here it 's near to Castle Rock, when we found our house and moved in or found the house, the realtor was looking through, and we, the basement is now finished, but the basement wasn 't finished, then we the, my wife, with the realtor was ahead of me, and when they went down the stairs, we well, you know how your house looking you probably haven 't looked for a lot of houses, but we were looking for a house to live in and they were ahead of me and my wife got down the stairs and and the realtor had said and here's a nice closet for storage and she my wife was ahead of me and i heard my wife say just as i was coming down the stair oh there's dick's gap that's his gap and the realtor looked at her and said what <laughs> what's a gap and then she she and the realtor is a christian so it she understood readily, oh, she said, my husband, every time we go in a house, he's looking all over the place for the right size of a closet. And so sure enough, now as you come down the stairs, you open it up. It would look like a door to a closet, but you open it up and you go into <laughs> Shangri-La as far as prayer is concerned. <laughs> no, it's maps and globes and and everything. You're under the stairway, but that's where I pray. And I keep all my prayer diaries and everything that I pray over and my Bibles and That's a place where I just go to be with the Lord. And incidentally, if you spend an hour a day alone in a prayer closet, that's 365 hours in a year. doesn't seem like a lot day by day. But let me tell you, 365 hours is equivalent to 45 eight-hour working days. When you think of that, imagine having a job and saying to your employer, I'm going to take all the month of June and half the month of July. I'm not going to be in. Because instead of working eight hours a day uh, here, I'm going to be spending that time in prayer. That's how the time adds up. If it's two hours a day, it's equivalent to 90 days. And so when I go down to that room, as I will later today when I get home, when I spend time in that room over a period of a year, that becomes a room that I'm in as much in that room often as I would in any other room in the house and certainly as much in that room off often day, day by day as i would watch television or do something else and when you you know you're not calculating this to try and accumulate you know to see how much time you can accumulate with god because then you might get promoted you know i mean the more i pray the more my salary gets reduced you know so it's not like you know you're you're going to necessarily get more in that regard but something does indeed happen in our experience when we spend that time in that place of prayer. Other scriptures, obviously, Matthew 6.6, 6, when you enter your closet, shut the door. That word closet, the Greek word temeion, means, it's two translations. In, in New Testament Greek, it meant either a storage room attached to your house, a lean-to. It was like adding to your house another room to store fruits... Dried fruits and meat for the winter season. Not significant because what it meant was the temion meant a place for future nourishment. A place to store future nourishment. The exact same word though, it's not uncommon to words we would use that sometimes have dual meanings. The same word also meant a bedchamber. Which would mean in, in that in the language of that day... The most intimate room in the house. It's where the husband and wife sleep together. It's where they come together. Very appropriate also when you're speaking about our intimacy with God. Because obviously that's what prayer is. If you ever have the occasion to listen to the teaching of the school of prayer. Without a doubt the thing that will probably touch you the most is in the first session. Where I talk about the prayer as being intimacy. ...husband and wife coming together in the intimacy where, they're in, in, in the healthy marriage, obviously, there's a desire of drawing together in romance and marriage, and God ordained it to be that way. And in that sense, there's a delight in that aspect of intimacy. But we must never forget that also in that act of intimacy in marriage comes the capacity for conception. And when a husband and wife come together, make no mistake about it, there, are, there is the possibility for something new to be born. And uh, you know our convictions as believers, especially when it comes to the abortion issue, is we know very well that it's at conception that life is born. In our prayer experience, and I, you say, what analogy are you drawing, Dick? Often when we pray, the answer to prayer is right then. You haven't seen it yet, but that's the conception and proof biblically is Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel prayed 21 days and finally the answer came. Remember that? 21 days and the answer came. But do you know your Bibles? On what day did God answer his prayer? The very first day. So from the moment he began to pray, the prayer was answered. That was conception. So, now go back. uh, Just turn back over in your notes because I've given you four little suggestions. and You know, obviously, if I were to to take time, I could take time and share with you a variety of things that you could do in a church, in a group, little ideas, prayer retreats. You know, some people would say, and often, and I don't have time. I mean, even at the end of today, I'm supposed to rush off to a, another meeting that's technically starting at 3 o'clock. It's not far from here. But the, to, to explain all this, but, so my response... When I can't answer a lot of questions, my response is, listen, go to the same person I went to in the first place to ask him what to do with my youth group. Go to the same one I went to when we had our first prayer retreat. And I said, Lord, what should I do? And I tell you, we struggled. I mean, and and I described that in our first prayer retreat. We didn't know what to do. But God began to direct us. Now, a couple things, and I'm going to conclude. Number two of the main uh, up under to teach there number two is develop periodic messages on prayer now many of you are not pastors obviously you may never be you may be in ministry in some way uh, and communicating and if you are on a regular basis in leadership speak to those that are under your charge of the importance of prayer if you have a, to a pastor I would say do you have a message on it every month or a minimum of every two months Take some of the things we're sharing. Read some of these books. Uh, I'm so delighted when I hear pastors that'll take the hour that changes the world. There's 13 chapters and there's 13 weeks and a quarter of the year. And they'll speak on this in a, a, a Bible class uh, for 13 weeks to train the adults. We have a whole training program called The Practical Prayer Life on that book with transparencies and everything. And a whole... Uh, 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 Lesson, a whole course rather for teenagers with transparencies that are designed with cartoons and that to teach these principles to teenagers. And then we have an addition for adults to help transfer these principles. But periodic messages on prayer. Actually, I've kind of jumped ahead to letter D there, but I'll come to that. Periodic messages. Develop number three or letter C a prayer lay leadership. The laity would be those that are not in full-time ministry. And all that means is like this uh, Bernie Kuiper, the pastor at uh, Village 7. Uh, Pres- Presbyterians obviously developed some kind of prayer lay leadership. If you're having, while he's preaching in a service, 50 people in another room praying means someone organized that. They It didn't just, you know, he didn't just show up one morning and someone said, Wow, did you know there's 50 people over there praying? Wow, man. And uh, old Charles Spurgeon, they say. Used to every Sunday morning when he preached, he had a band of about 30 men down below him. I heard down below the pulpit in a little room that was conveniently under the pulpit praying. They'd pray for him the whole time he was preaching. And as as tradition tells us, that they say that if he got struggling in one of his messages and didn't feel the anointing, he he would stomp his floor on the platform there. And and that was saying to those guys down below him, get with it, you're not praying because it's not working up here. So, that's a prayer-lay leadership. Uh, In our ministry of Every Home for Christ, we're developing prayer strategies or or evangelism strategies to reach nations like Uzbekistan in Central Asia, the old Soviet Union, Tajikistan, uh, Azerbaijan, these leading Muslim regions. And the Lord put on my heart that we needed to develop 24-hour prayer in teams to cover all the strategy we're planning. And so we're building. We plan to begin the end of this summer. We're seeking now for God to supply the resources for this. We have already are purchasing the property. And uh, it's in the north part of town, and there we're going to build the Jericho Center. We're calling it where our international headquarters will be. At the heart of the Jericho Center will be a training chapel for ongoing regular training of intercessors in these teams. We'll develop Jericho teams. We're calling them, of four to six people, made up of different ministries and different churches. Ultimately, we hope to have over 200 of these teams. It's going to take a miracle. Now, it's not a, it's not hard to find people interested. Not in Colorado Springs. We already have had in three training sessions, 247 people come to the Jericho training, and they received a substantive. Manual in a three-ring binder, and I I almost brought you a sample to show you uh, for the uh, t- to those that would either be on a team or lead teams. But once a month, a team will be required to pray in the night for a two-hour season. That means getting in their car at 2 a.m. in the morning, driving across the city to meet with four to six other brave people. Of course, we'll have. I mean it's it's going to be well maintained even with security guards but it's it's it, and 24 hour access and leadership that's always there to maintain the integrity of what's happening and and of course especially because you know people have different varieties of of uh, concepts of intercessory prayer and so we're training the intercessors that this is a prayer concert and so like a symphony we all Play together. You don't have soloists going off, you know. The brass section at the symphony suddenly decides that they're, they don't like the way the orchestra leader is doing it, so they all stand up and blare out into some other song. No, it's all directed properly because we are a symphony. If two of you agree, symphonale. And so we come together accepting the differences of backgrounds, but then we come under the umbrella of Jesus Christ and we pray. Some of my closest friends in major ministries, when they hear of this vision emerging, they recognize something I recognize too, that what we're talking about has never happened before to any of our knowledge in history. Now, when I say that, there have been 24-hour prayer chains. There have been 24-hour prayer ministries. In Korea, there are a number of 24-hour prayer mountains. But you know what's never happened? There's never been an on-site, 24-hour, never-ending prayer meeting with different backgrounds constantly praying together in concerts never oh i mean continuing at, at manila at the great congress of evangelism for the luzon committee in manila in 1989 was the first i saw this they had trained intercessors for five days in teams praying 24 hours a day for that congress and so many things have come out of that congress now Large gatherings all over the world. You know Johnny Erickson? Do you know Johnny Erickson Tata? She's a friend of, of uh, Johnny and, and friends. She's a friend. And uh, the, she, in her conferences now all over the world, she has prayer teams come in and pray 24 hours a day throughout their congresses, their conferences. It's absolutely exciting. And so this, the Lord showed me, that wouldn't this be... Thrilling and 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 powerfully significant to do this when people are meeting together of different ministries, planning strategies of how can we work together to evangelize Ethiopia. How can we work together to evangelize Central African Republic, where we start next year, and and in Benin, where we just started in Africa, and all these different regions, and in Zaire, and all through the old Eastern Europe. By the way, our bus went down the road in Bulgaria, and we prayed for all those villages. Right now we're going house to house in those villages. Uh, We are. I mean, the body of Christ is, but we're involved in this. And so God's answering prayer. And uh, so we're going to be seeing a lay leadership emerge in teams. In fact, Saturday we have our next meeting, as I mentioned earlier. uh, I don't know how many, uh, 100 or 200 people will gather of these potential team leaders to just discuss the next steps that we're going to be moving into in Uh, uh, developing this prayer covering here in Colorado Springs for 40 ministries that are here. When we began to prepare to come here, the Lord showed me, said, in my heart, I went to wait for three days of prayer on the ocean in California. And in those three days, the Lord spoke to me so strongly in my heart and said, I want you to be a part of developing a a prayer covering in Colorado Springs that ultimately will be made up of those ministries being covered. In other words, people of all these ministries will come together in prayer. So we're just going to keep moving ahead until we see it happen. And I get excited about that because I believe it is going to happen. And incidentally, let me tell you one little secret. I was telling a group of intercessors that that God had spoken to our hearts to have a twenty four hour prayer center for the nations to For a casting down of the strongholds in two ways. Strongholds within the church, keeping it from revival. And how many know there are strongholds in the church? I'll tell you one right now, disunity. Disunity is a stronghold that the enemy has used to keep awakening from happening. Some of us are so busy fighting for our doctrinal purity that we will not even work together. Do you know when we launched... The Every Home Crusade in Moscow, we went there. I was there. The first day, we're we're challenging. In that room, the the Pentecostals and the Baptists came together. There they were sitting. I don't know if you understand the differences of these groups. But at one point, they actually started verbally arguing with each other. Arguing, standing up, saying, Yeah, but you, we, if, we, if we go out and win people to Jesus, they might go to your church. Oh, yeah? And you know, we didn't understand it because it was in Russian, but our director told us they're arguing. The Holy Spirit came. By the end of the week, they rushed to come to take maps of the city, of what parts they were going to reach. And they're the churches now that are uniting together, going to take the gospel. And you know what they finally discovered? Hey, we're trying to introduce people to Jesus. That's, that's what we want to do. And what a foolish thing to say, I'm not going to get involved in going door to door. If they're going door to door, I mean, how absurd. My goodness. You know, no wonder Jesus prayed five times in John 17. Oh, Father, let my disciples be, be one. Three times I think it says that the world may know. So, just thought I'd get my two cents in there <laughs> on what God's doing in that regard. How did I get off on that? Anyway, I was talking about the unity that's emerging and the, the beautiful way God's answering prayer. It's, it's, it's marvelous. And what we see is going to happen here in the raising up of these teams. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of training and a lot of commitment and sacrifice. But I believe God's going to honor it, and he, he He spoke to me, and I was telling these intercessors, God showed us that He wanted to link up all the, all these groups and bring them together, and then have many groups linked together all over the nations and around the world. And one of them looked at me and said, "Oh, Dick," <clears throat> said, and I didn't know him, never met the guy. He said, "He said, have you heard of the NORAD vision?" And I said, "The what?" "No, have heard of you've heard of NORAD." I said, "Nah, NORAD vision, what's that?" And he said, oh, he said, oh, several years ago, God spoke to some intercessors and said, just like there's NORAD here that discerns enemy activity all over the world, that he was going to bring a spiritual NORAD here linking people up for the nations. And I said, well, as he was describing it, he, I, he said to me, I had told that I'd shared to a group of leaders back in Pasadena, California, that's where they were, from Colorado Springs. And he, he's, he heard me sharing this. And he said, boy, Dick, you're describing what God said was going to happen. Well, I got really excited. I said, this is great. I said, next Tuesday is our day of prayer. Would you come and would you tell our whole staff at our day of prayer about this NORAD thing? Because this is exciting. They don't know this. So he said, sure. So he shows up and on our day of prayer, we pray in our prayer room all day, but then we have an hour when the whole staff can come together because otherwise we don't have room in the prayer room. So we brought them all together and I said, hey, there's this brother here that told me about a very interesting vision. Incidentally, since then, I found out that it's something the Lord has spoken to different prayer groups in different churches as much as 10 years ago, and they didn't know it. One lady came to me from Pueblo and told me the Lord had showed her this in a prayer meeting over 10 years ago. Now, you're going to love this. This is the best part. You haven't heard anything yet. Okay. So up comes this brother, and he starts to tell the NORAD. He says, God told me there's going to be this spiritual NORAD, and I mean told... Through some intercessors, and and boy, when I heard Brother Dick describe the Jericho Center right there, I said, "This is it." Well, here's Brad Valentine. Now you don't know Brad Valentine from Adam, but Brad Valentine came to our ministry two years ago or so as our director of of the computer area, as a vice president of administration over all of our data processing and everything the head over that whole area because he's a computer expert. He's a genius. His mind works in computers. That's his background. That's all of his experience over the years. A a consultant hired by major companies. So here he's sitting there and just before we moved, when God gave me in my heart the Jericho vision for the Jericho Center, our executive vice president came to me one day and he's the leader that does all the managing administrative under me. He said, Dick, I've really been praying about old Brad. And he said, you know, I think Brad's heart is really in ministries. And he said, Dick, you're talking about a major thing in this Jericho center and thousands upon thousands of Jericho chapters all over the world. He said, Dick, we're going to need someone to manage that, and we don't have a person like that. And he said, I think we should consider Brad. And I said, you know, boy, Vince, that rings a uh, a spark in my heart. Uh... Why don't you talk to Brad? And this was uh, um, over a year ago right now. So he went to Brad that weekend and he talked to him and, and he came back to me on Monday and he said, Dick, Brad told me nothing could be closer to his heart. And he said he wants to do this. And so immediately that day we appointed Brad as the vice president of ministries to carry this whole division. So here's Brad sitting there and he hears this NORAD thing. Now, we don't know this. But the minute he hears it, big old tears start running down his face. His wife turns and looks at him, tears start coming on her face. Because we didn't know this, that before Brad came to us, he worked for the Systems Development Corporation under the Rand Corporation, America's most sophisticated think tank. And what he did was, one of his primary roles was, to develop the computer technology for NORAD right here. He literally helped develop the whole computer strategies of testing the entire system, linking it all together to make it work. And when when he couldn't... He's sitting there numb. He never thought... he. By the way, when he did that, he wasn't even a born-again Christian. During that time, someone led him to Jesus. God began to work in his life. He ended up in our ministry. And then he ends up moving to Colorado Springs. And then he finds out he's directing the real Norad. Yes. Ah! A real one. And, and, uh, it, it's, it's so exciting to watch what God is doing. And now, Brad, by the way, Anne, Brad's wife who works as our director of human resources, that's our personnel director for hiring, she went home that night, went into their files, and she, she found a pic and brought back the next day this 8x10 picture. And it's a classic to us now. It's Brad Valentine. Our Brad Valentine with the generals and colonels of NORAD standing at a whiteboard like right here explaining how it all works. <laughs> and now, uh, we went into NORAD the other day. By the way, Brad was with us, and so we went in in a private group and, uh, because I wanted to see it. and We had connections to get us so we didn't have to wait a year. <clears throat> so we got in in just a few days and were able to see it all. And, oh, did God speak to me about things? In there, Uh, sometimes these things that we see in the physical there are analogies, and the linking together of these people. And I can't share more about that, but because of time. But God is developing a lay leadership of prayer that are going to move mountains. I I I get excited. So, by the way, if you want information on the Jericho chapter this summer, we're doing a video. I've already done a cassette on it, and uh, if you're interested, the whole Jericho guide. Chap, that, that chapter's guide I was talking about, it's in a three-ring binder and it's kind of what well, costs something for us to put these first together in a small quantity and they are $15. But that tells the whole story from start to finish on how to develop a Jericho chapter. So, then the other thing, and i, I got to get this last thing. Div- letter D is develop an ongoing prayer training program. And let me say in conclusion... There are five effective five goals of effective training. I believe in the transferring of any principle. By the way, this would apply to any aspect of discipleship. You know, the navigators are so known for the principles of discipling, and here are five things that are so critical to discipling at any level. I am applying them to prayer, but they can apply to the transferring of any anything. You know. What you've heard of me, Paul said, transfer to others that are reliable, that they may teach even more. The scripture is Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians 3, 7 to 9, where Paul talks about them being models. We need to be models to others in the matter of prayer. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Paul was saying, You've watched us, now come my direction. Follow me. We were not idle when we were with you. We worked hard, he's saying. We did not eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day. Hard workers. Laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. When I use the term training... Look at your notes here. I am speaking of a systematic plan of teaching. That's what training is. It is a plan of teaching that embodies or includes substance. That's the first word, substance. Training includes substance and structure. There's meat to it. There's a plan to it. And the the more carefully developed that the plan is, I don't mean by having a lot of content. I mean by having something of substance that people can sink their teeth into. If it has substance and structure, there's a plan to it, then people can take it. And over the months to come... Have some kind of an understanding how I might apply this. I've given you some points today. Do you know the reason I teach the way I do is because I worked with young people for so long and I wanted them to remember in two or three words here and there to take it with them and next month be able to look at it and at least remember something of what was shared. There's five things the Lord showed me must happen when I teach. Now, I don't know. I'm how you would evaluate whether these things have been accomplished. One of them I see the greatest deficiency in that I'm going to give you in the next moment, and that's been because of lack of time. But I'm going to give you the five things the Lord impressed on me should happen out of every teaching session I ever do. Now, incidentally, the one where I've been most deficient, you're going to do in your assignment that comes after this, so I know we're going to lead you into the fulfilling of this directive that the Lord gave me. It all began one time when I went to a college to teach for an entire week, and I said, Lord, what do you want to happen this week? And he showed me these things, and he said, I want these things to happen wherever you go. Measure the, the, the results. Measure whether you, your communication that week is successful on these things. Now, sometimes that's hard to do right on the spot, but he, but he said to me, in my heart as I prayed, he said, I want you to plan your teaching in a way that you allow room for all of these things to happen. The first, thing, the first word was instruct. I want you to instruct people. Now what does that mean? To make disciples through the impartation of sound teaching or sound doctrine. That's what instruct means here. To make disciples. In this case, I would be discipling people in an area of prayer. And specifically prayer for a lost world. To make, to make disciples through the impartation of sound doctrine. Instruct. In Acts 2020, let me try and give you if I have time. Acts a scripture for each of these. Acts 2020. 20. Paul said, I have showed you and taught you. I taught you. I shared with you principles. And here's what the Lord said. You say, you know, you may not understand why this was so important to me, but the Lord was saying to me. Sometimes he says in my heart, my son. Other times he says, Dick, do you think God could call us by our first name? When he says, Richard, I know I'm in real trouble. <laughs> and if he says, Mr. Eastman, I know I haven't been with him very lately. <laughs> but I have shown you and I have taught you. The Lord is saying to me, I don't want you to just tell a bunch of stories. That's okay. That sometimes fulfills the second thing. But leave something they can take with them the second thing is inspire inspire which means to uplift by personal testimony and this is often the thing that people remember the most acts 15:3 and 4 acts 15:3 and 4 on one of the journeys of paul and barnabas it says they declared the conversion of the Gentiles and they caused great joy. Look at that. They caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come together in Jerusalem, they were received of the church and they declared all things that God had done with them. What did they do? They just shared testimony. They said, Oh boy, when we got to this place, we saw this happen. I mean, oh, and when we got to this place, this happened. Let me tell you a little secret. You listening? You won't have anything to tell anybody that happened if you don't spend time with the Lord or if you're not out there in the field. But if you're out there praying, you'll have the testimonies. And, you know, I don't know that I, that you would pick up on this, and it wasn't calculated on my part because the Holy Spirit does this, but when I told you about that issue, that experience of God providing a plane for me that didn't exist, do you know what happens when you do that? Someone sits there and says, Oh, wow! God answers prayer. God's, God's out there. And you may not be aware of it, but the inspiration challenges you to do it. And oh, why, that's why it's so important. Just go do it. Some people say, yeah, but you're lucky. <laughs> you, get, you have a lot of answers to prayer. I say, pray more, and you'll have some more answers too. Hmm? Okay. <laughs> Inspire. Letter, letter C, or number three, is informed. Inform. The Lord showed me that I needed to provide, to inform is to provide information essential for intelligent praying. To provide information for intelligent praying. Another example, Acts 4, 23 and 24. Acts 4, 23 and 24. This is after the disciples were told they could no longer preach about Jesus. Listen to these words. As soon as they were discharged, the disciples were let go from jail, they went back to their friends and told them everything that the chief priests and elders had said. And when they heard it, when they were informed, they raised their voices as one and called upon God. What am I saying? I'm saying we need to be informed. Some of you may have never prayed for Uzbekistan. Never thought about it. Let me tell you something. The stronghold of communism is gone in Uzbekistan. It's gone. Now everybody might say amen to that, but let me tell you a secret. In the next few months, Islam will take over that republic so strong that it will be harder to evangelize, if not already harder to evangelize, than Iran or Saudi Arabia or any other Muslim country. What I'm saying is this. When we know these things, we start to pray fervently, God Stir up the church to go there now. I hope to meet next week, within a week to ten days, meet with lead, Christian leaders, only a few, from Uzbekistan, about in every home crusade in their, their country. It's now a country. Let me tell you something. In some, I don't know if it's Uzbekistan or if it's Azerbaijan, which one it is, but there's one of those with six, nearly 16 million people have less than 30 identifiable believers. So they're going to need some help. But the time is ripe. We need information. Someone asked me, do you have a newsletter? Do you have information? Yes, every month Every Home for Christ sends out a newsletter. It's called Every Home for Christ. And that newsletter has in it a 31-day prayer guide for the following month. And those are sometimes very informative alone because of the prayer focuses. Uh, A lot of exciting information. And The other day you would have read Pray for the 120 One New Testament church is born in the last 30 days in Nepal that they will grow. We had 121 new churches formed in villages in Nepal in one month. That was two years ago listed as one of the most difficult nations on earth besides Albania. Nepal, seven years in prison for converting a Hindu and suddenly democratic reforms. Our ministry alone in Nepal in the last two years has received in our Kathmandu office 30,000 decision cards from gospel literature given door to door. 30,000. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Who would have ever thought? I was there in the month I was there. In that 30-day period that I was there, some 1,500 decision cards had been received. And there they had them right there. They were starting to, 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 to send them. The four-part Bible correspondence courses. And then when people complete that in villages that are Hindu where there's never been a church, a field evangelist goes in and says, Now we have 15 people in this village. They get them all together and they talk to them about meeting together every week to talk more about Jesus. It's discipleship and it's embryo. It's the beginning. Praise God for the church that's spreading all over the world. Now, letter D, number four, the Lord shared with me. And this was what I said was more of a deficiency today. It's the word involve. But I'm going to challenge you as I close to, uh, to get involved in a practical way. Now, what I would do in a normal setting if I were over three or four days is at different times we would break into groups and we would do what we're talking about. Involve, which means to do it. Acts 20.36 Acts 20.36 And when he had thus spoken, Paul, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. He he led them. Involved means to train by actual practice. To train by actual practice. The last thing is what the Lord kind of surprised me when he said it to me, but I understood immediately then what he meant. He said, and last of all, I want you to impress them. And instantly he spoke in my heart. I don't mean impress them by how you teach or what what you teach but I want you to make a mark by your obedience by your practicing what you're teaching and by your dependence on my spirit this is what the Lord said to me I want people to have a mark made on their heart that when it's over they're different something stirs within them they can't explain it it's, it's not any particular illustration, although they might remember something and forget everything else. But when they walk away, they say, I want to be a man of prayer or a woman of prayer. You know, I shared from Acts 20.36, write Acts 20.37 here. It's the very next verse. Look at the mark that had been made on the lives of these people who prayed with Paul. It says, Then... There were loud cries of sorrow from them all as they folded Paul in their arms and kissed him. You say, what does that say? It's saying that Paul had left an impression on their heart. There had been a mark made. Impress upon the hearts of people their need to to follow after God intimately. Here's a final verse. 1 Peter, well it's actually two verses. Chapter 5 verses 2 and 3. We are admonished as leaders to feed the flock. Or as one translation says, be shepherds of God's flock. Eager to serve by being examples. By being examples. So we come back to that modeling again. We're to set an example. To impress on people the importance of prayer. Well, as always, I wish I had a little more time, but it seems to me I... I never do have enough time. And I ask for the Holy Spirit to make up for what we would lack in being able to cover everything that we would like to cover. But you've been you've been patient. And you've listened to me kind of ramble on for several hours. And I do want to give you this little assignment. And it will be a part of the assignment you're asked for your own follow-up. My assignment is... Is more spiritual. And you got it there, is it written out? Someone typed it? Let me sum it up in my own words. And it might I don't know how much different it might be than what's said there, but in the next I it probably says a couple week period or something. In the next twelve days I would challenge you to do this as a part of that assignment. Other than the introduction of the book, there are twelve major calls to prayer there, types of prayer. The challenge I would give you is this. In the next 12 days, as a part of your devotional habit, which you ought to have, and if not, may this be a challenge to begin it faithfully, and may God cause it to become a discipline of your life, that even when you don't feel like it, you do it. And that is, each day for the next 12 days, take at least 15 minutes, and here's my challenge. Go back to each chapter of the book. It will only take you about five to seven minutes to read a chapter. Uh, If you're even a slow reader, I think it'd be less than ten minutes. But take a few minutes to refresh your mind of what, what really is praise. I think we all have some grasp of it, but read it again. At the end of each chapter are four ways to do it. Then, bow before the Lord. Take some time sitting in your room or go out into the trees if the weather's nice and and quietly sit before the Lord just on that aspect of prayer. Now, I probably there it might say 10 or 15 minutes or something, I don't know, but listen, don't be limited in time. If you begin to praise the Lord and you're, you're expressing praise and it goes beyond that, praise God. You know, in many schools they have what they call lecture halls and then they have lab. Consider this lab, but consider it special. The next day you would go from praise, the next day you would go to Waiting. You just wait quietly on the Lord. You know, I was tempted if I of calling chapter 2 worship, but that would be confusing to say to someone, begin with praise and then worship, because many would say, wait a minute, they're, they're one and the same. No, not really. Praise is a type of worship. A lot of things are worship. If you were to get out and bow before the Lord, or stand before the Lord, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Get on your face. That seems like that's rather... Uh, um, uh, intense but uh, worship is so many things even singing comes in that category but what I'm really suggesting in number two is to just be with him just look to his nature and character, you may have spoken that and articulated it when you're praising him but now you're just loving him it's more like saying God I want you, I just want to be with you, by the way number two will probably be the hardest thing to apply because in our minds you just don't sit there, nobody just sits there you know, and but but do it and try to apply it, and then number three confession. Of course, depending on where you're at spiritually, that might take you three four hours uh, as you dump on God all your sins. No, it's the fact is that you're you're saying, Lord, show me are there areas in my life that I need to to deal with. By the way, on the first day you do this, if you have areas you need to deal with, I would deal with them. I wouldn't wait until Wednesday, you know. <laughs> I say, like, God, you know, I'll get to you know confession you know next week. It's not really on my schedule now. <clears throat> but when you go through those after twelve days, write your impressions down too that you feel, your thoughts. Then put it all together on one day. Now it might be suggested there for an hour. Let me tell you what I suggest. I suggest you you clear your time, so it's a morning or an evening you're alone. you don't have a limit it could, you have a t- you, you might have two hours three you, you might have a three hour time frame like you might start at six o'clock and you don't have anything on your schedule that night. I mean you can finish in one hour, but if it goes beyond that, you can let it and what I tell people to do is do every one of them and if on any one of them, suddenly you feel something of God's presence. Like You know God's always there, isn't He? he lives within us. But suddenly you sense something. Pursue it. If it's 20 minutes, just praising Him. If it's an hour, just do it. When I was writing this book, I had two, or, three or four occasions where I spent six hours at least in those 12 things. At least. And it, some of them, it was so beautiful. And what I would do is just say, okay, today I'm working on this. I'm not going to write about something I don't understand that I don't practice. And so I'm just going to start doing it and I don't care. My, you know, if I, if I do it an hour and I'm finished, then I'll spend the rest of the day writing. And I would watch it go. And somehow the Lord blesses that. You know how he blesses it. It's not, oh boy, you've done that. Now I'm going to let your book reach another hundred thousand people. It's not that. It's the blessing comes of, of something that happens in your life. As you're worshiping Him and He moves, and He does cause the impact to grow in some of these things, but initially, the great blessing is what He does in you in that moment. And you're caught up in His presence and makes you stronger. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And I'm going to give you these speaker evaluations. And uh, uh, you can, I guess you're supposed to evaluate the speakers. Don't know what you do with these. <laughs> it's kind of like eating at a restaurant, I guess, you know. And they give you this thing to see if the service was good. And, uh, but I want to thank you for letting me share. And I want to say this in conclusion to uh, our being together that so you understand my heart, I I'll say it again. Uh, there are many things on my schedule. And this morning coming here, I had the sense, and I kind of look at each one of you and wondering, Lord, what is it that you're doing in each one of these? You know, because for God to put something on the schedule like this at a time of this busyness is He's trying to say something. And I don't want to miss it. I don't even know at this point what it may be. I often find myself... In my own imagination, trying to figure out, God why why did you have a share to this group? And yet there's a reason that I don't know that I, I believe whether it comes within days or in my lifetime, like a brother that came to me and in our church I worked in in California, we used to print all the all the uh, the people that that came to Christ. In the Sunday bulletin from the week before, we'd say, pray for these. They came to Christ. In my early years in youth ministry, I did a lot of fanatic things. Uh, I would go to high school campuses for any excuse whatsoever and get into any class I could on any subject as long as I could talk about Jesus, and they would never know I was going to. I didn't care whether it was... I, I became an expert on any subject that I knew nothing about. I even talked on in science classes, in chemistry, and I nearly failed that in school. But I would go develop things on... I, it was the most bizarre thing. I would tell our students, it was a planned thing. It was weird. I would say, look, you tell your teacher that your youth leader, don't make it sound religious, your youth leader can talk on this subject. So I, ah, this is crazy. I, I'd go in, on, and I remember some of the classes. Uh, I remember I was in one American literature class, and I got, I was about 15 minutes into the class on, uh, and I can't, it was on some great Lesson. I'd, I'd spent two days at the library, at the university or someplace there, gathering information on all this, because I couldn't remember nothing on that subject from my schooling. And so I had this all, got about 15 minutes into it, and then co- quietly said, and of course, in the early Americas, one of the strongest influence in training was the Bible. And, <laughs> and so I'm going into this, and I get... And I noticed the teacher starting to squirm, honest to God. And because I said, and of course, we we should know that the foundation of all the principles that gave our... I'll never forget, never, that I get about five minutes into this. And all I can think of now is is, uh, Charles Spurgeon preaching, you know. He used to say, I'll take any text in the Bible and proceed immediately to the cross. I like that. Well, to me, I'd take any subject... Anything, you name it. I don't care if it's homemaking and, you know, home economics, how to bake cakes. If I could, whatever it is, get in there and proceed immediately to the cross. So I'm I'm suddenly talking about, and of course, the interesting thing about some of the early forefathers is they believed Jesus Christ could actually change your life. <laughs> you know, and you're just about two minutes from the four spiritual law. see. And this guy stands up, tallest dude named Gary reason I know him well is because of what happened. Gary stood up and said, "Wait, just a minute." <laughs> he just he said, "I take exception." Oh, he's American Indian, almost 100% in in back in. He said, uh, I'm I'm American Indian and he said Christians did nothing but slaughter us." He said, Custer was a Christian. Oh, he was a great Christian. Boy, I didn't know how to respond. He starts saying this. He said, the Inquisition was all caused by Catholics. They're Christians. He said, I'm an atheist. And I'm proud I'm an atheist. And I said to him, well, you wouldn't be an atheist long if you heard the truth. And I don't know why I said it. We we're having a revival, an evangelistic campaign at our church with a speaker. And I said to him, and he got to arguing. And before the teacher could stop anything, I said, look, I said, I can't tell you more right now. But I said, I dare you to come to our our meetings at church at night. I dare you, and listen to one whole message, and then say it's not real. And the teacher at that point said, uh, Mr. Eastman, excuse me, I think you better get back to the subject. Well, after the, the class ended, I, I confront Gary confronted me again, and I said, Gary, I told you, I dare you. And he said, I'll take it. I'll take you up on it. The next night was Thursday. I'll never forget as long as I live, when the invitation was given for people to come to receive Jesus, I saw, must have been 80 that night, this was a large church, I saw one of the first ones standing was Gary. He came down the side, and I got the chance to pray with him. He received Jesus, and two years later when we started, because I was a youth leader, then we started our prayer ministry, we started that. Gary was one of the first young people uh, out of co- high school before going to college, to become a, a member of our prayer corps. He spent a whole year. And you know what happened? Leighton Ford came to the big civic auditorium there at, for an evangelistic crusade. And one night, Gary requested the whole prayer corps. Would you pray for my parents? He said, "He said, you won't believe this, but I prayed for them for over a year now. And he said, they've, they've all agreed. My mom, my dad, and my two sisters said they'd come in here Leighton Ford.